we shouldn't um, close our hearts and we shouldn't limit our hearts to listening to just one scholar or two scholars that will make us ta'asub they will make us um, ta'asub means we will make us blindly follow and we will not make us um, be academically mature and fair Assalamualaikum my name is Shazwan welcome to the first episode of this podcast In today's episode, I have Ustaz Sufyan joining me. Ustaz, how are you? Good, Alhamdulillah. How are you? <laughs> Alhamdulillah, I'm good. Ustaz, I've, kn- I've known you since 10 years ago when you were just volunteers for Islamic conferences, mashallah. And now you are an Ustaz and a graduate from Medina University. How's life after Medina? Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Walillah, Alhamd. Um, alhamdulillah, it's been, it's been good. Alhamdulillah, I graduated last year. And ever since, uh, it's been... We miss Medina, of course. Um, and if we ask anybody else, uh, they will say that the golden years of their lives uh, in Medina University. Yeah? Amongst them, if you take a look at the UK scholars, uh, UK Asatiza, uh, Ustaz Tim Humble, Ustaz Abu Usama, and many others, uh, they will actually recollect that they have spent their best years of their lives in Medina University. Of course, um, this is exception of uh, getting married and such. <laughs> Just joking. Eh? MashaAllah. But, um, Uh, Alhamdulillah. Uh, of course, we've we've great, like like you know Uncle Ben say, eh? with great power comes great responsibility, and with all the neemah that we have been blessed, uh, there's definitely a responsibility for us to give back to the society. Yeah, I mean that has always been preached to us and remember reminded to us by the scholars and the teachers of Medina University and our professors and such. They always say, you know, whatever things that you've been given here. This is actually uh, given to you so that you go back to your own home country, you know, and it's an international university, of course. So wherever you you are, for you to return to the uh, to to your own country after the many the several years of your studies to teach and to give back to your community and to remind them of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and to call people towards goodness uh, and to. To be an ustaz and a da'i towards the sunnah and towards goodness and forbid people from evil. So Alhamdulillah, um, uh, that's the idea. Uh, that's the metaphorical theory. Yeah, but uh, Alhamdulillah for now, Alhamdulillah, I've been uh, working as an MRO, as a most religious officer in Masjid Ma'aruf. Alhamdulillah, in the department of Dawah. So. Um, Yeah, I, I'm Alhamdulillah. I've been conducting classes. I've been part of a team which does that as well uh, on a weekly basis. And I've been teaching here and there at the masjids. Walillah, alhamd, alhamdulillah. Um, and it's been, it's been a nice, it's been a nice um, time finally, you know, after graduating for several years of learning uh, and coming back, this is the only time or this is the time for me to give back whatever things that I've learned that is uh, suitable and appropriate to the context of of where we live in Singapore. Lah. Alhamdulillah. MashaAllah. So what is your role as an MRO besides teaching Islamic studies? Um, what is the role of an MRO eh, besides teaching? Um, I like to think of it as a question of how would the Prophet SAW Uh, how did he lived among his people in Medina, in Medina, uh, in Masjid Nabawi? You know, how was he like in the community level? So you know, um, 
he needs to be on the ground and MRO needs to be on the ground, needs to be with the people, needs to uh, ease the situation of the people as much as possible, needs to be aware of the ground, of the things that happen in the ground amongst the people and try to find a way to educate or to spread da'wah, to spread more things about Islam, um, formally and informally as much as he can. And of, of course, to, to show an exemplary character so that people can follow and so that people can understand that this is uh, the right way lah to, to be a Muslim in Singapore, in the community, you know. So it's, it's always a never-ending question lah, if you ask me, you know, what, what is the role or what is the true role of an MRO? You know, besides being an imam, besides doing classes, it's that, lah, it's connecting people towards the da'wah of Islam Uh, through all and every possible ways that is possible lah. through your character so your, through your speech through your involvement etc so you're also interacting with people outside the classrooms to, uh, to course, teach about course, Islam uh, I think that, that's a very huge um, a very huge part of the job scope lah, in a sense mm. you know, it deals a lot with interactions it deal a lot, deals a lot with engagement sometimes also with IRCC for example inter-religious confidence circles mm. and so we deal with people who are not from Islam you know from the community centers or from the um, from the uh, confidence circles of inter-religious from, from temples or from for any other uh, collaborations in a sense from a communal standard uh, basically uh, that is the role of the MRO for the masjid that they are representing. Hmm, MashaAllah. Because I think that some people have this misconception that Asatidah are only those who teach in masjids and Islamic centers. MashaAllah. Um, to me, that's a huge misconception. And I think the more you, uh, the more one uh, participates and volunteers with the masjid to understand the dynamics and the, the things that the masjid does for the community, Um, the more they will understand the the roles of of everyone who is in the masjid, not just the MROs, of course. And also appreciate them. Exactly. And also appreciate them. Okay, so from what I know, you didn't come from a madrasa background, which means you have little or even no background on Islamic studies and, and the Arabic language. So what made you want to apply for the Islamic University of Madina? Um... So it all, um, yes, it all started when, um, when I was actually during my poly years or sometime before that, where I used to uh, attend classes held by the masjid, held by the masjids around Singapore, eh? for example, Masjid Gamusi Club and such. So what happens is that, you know, sometimes in weekday nights or Sunday, uh, weekend mornings, for example, when they have classes, sorry, eh? when they have classes, And I think the ones that are my favorite are the Tafsir and Usul Tafsir classes. Uh, and also the Fardu'ain classes, of course. Um, so when I begin to uh, regularly attend these classes, I started to have a passion to really try to find a, a way for me to be formally um, formally um, how should I say, enrolled in a university, in a university or in an institute for me to further my studies in a very formal and structured way. So when I was during that phase, I learned about Medina University, Alhamdulillah, and I understand that they uh, they are unique in a sense whereby they do not really uh, have to, con- they don't really consider your 
previous Ukhrawi backgrounds. So even if you're not from a madrasa uh, line, even if you're not from a madrasa background, Ukhrawi background, formally, then uh, they can still accept you uh, if you fulfill their criteria. And, and the most important of it is having two recommendation letters from uh, graduates of the university in Saudi Arabia. So, um, yeah, so ever since that passion and ever since that, that, that strong desire and many years of following classes in the masjids, I decided to just try. And after three years, Alhamdulillah, I was accepted to be, uh, I was accepted uh, for the scholarship to study there. And Alhamdulillah, the rest has been a beautiful memory. Alhamdulillah. What made you choose Madinah and not other universities? Oh, mashallah. Um, um, firstly, firstly was because uh, we understand that uh, Medina, of course, Medina, you know, to me, when you say that, when you take it out of the equation, it's not necessarily very fair. Eh? But of course, we, uh, a very strong point for me was the fact that from a secular to make the switch to the Ukhrawi line, uh, it didn't require, uh, it's the shortest path lah. To, to do so in a sense whereby uh, what I needed to do was to take two years of diploma in Arabic language and then I can proceed with the four years of degree in the in-depth studies of uh, the university so uh, on a degree level so that's amongst the points but other points is that um, when you live in Medina you know after reading so much about Medina about so many things that happen in Medina it's a totally different feel that you cannot get anywhere else in Egypt, in Jordan, you know, it's not as sweet as knowing uh, that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and we are in the month of Rabiul Awal, inshallah, in this recording, um, you know, the fact that uh, he lived uh, a, a big portion of his life uh, as a prophet uh, in Medina for ten years, and many things happened, and the companions sacrificed a lot of things, and and all of this revolves around the same neighborhood and same city that you are in you know if when when you feel that then you know it's a sweetness of iman that um, you know i can only share but um, you know if you can really if you understand and if you see uh, you know if you value the historical significant events that happened in medina and when you live there you know it's a it's a whole different sweetness uh, when it comes to appreciating uh, the, the the sacrifices of this of the prophet and the companions and the things that they went through the challenges that they went through uh, the ayats that was sent down the hadith that happened around Medina you know it's just mind blowing uh. so I can easily put that number two yeah and the number three will be the ease of of studying or the the ease of the path to study to reach a uh, you know in a in a renowned university yeah like Medina University. So how did you feel when you when you saw your name or the name list of students? Allah, I was mind blown. I was, uh, you know, I, I was, I literally like zoned out for a while because of how happy I was. And back then I was still in uh, NTU, eh, Nanyang Technological University. Um, and I remembered uh, that ever since that day, I was, I... I really placed more most of my focus in pursuing that Medina University. Yeah. So I was I was just mind blown. Uh, and, and when that happened, and of course, uh, um, this is not an advice for 
for all of you listeners out there eh um my advice of course will be uh, if it's possible for you to secure what you have uh, there uh, during the time when you got the Medina University offer of course you can delay it for another 2 years Uh, from what I understand lah, but of course there are risks and uh, repercussions that might happen because of the uh, volatile <laughs> volatile nature, eh, for lack of a better word, eh, or the spontaneous nature of the Arabs and their policies in making, uh, especially in like scholarships like this lah. So uh, I didn't dare to take the risk of their uh, spontaneous nature, and I quickly uh, convinced my parents and then got enrolled to the university. As early as possible, lah. So I'm not trying to say to anyone else who's got the university, uh, who got admission to drop whatever you're doing, but, uh, but you do have to bear in mind the spontaneous nature of the ever-changing policies when it comes to delaying your admission to the university itself. So yeah. How long were you studying in the university? How long did I study there? Um, a total of five and a half years where I did the first and a half year um, in diploma in Arabic and Islamic studies in the university itself and then four years in uh, the best faculty in the university which is Sharia. <laughs> I, I, of course, I'm saying it from a biased perspective but There's some truth in it, <laughs> So five years away from family, that itself is a struggle. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. So, I'm just wondering if halfway through your studies, did you feel like giving up and going back to Singapore? The issue of uh, giving up or the the issue of feeling burnt out is a phenomenon which is very real. But uh, Alhamdulillah, I I do I do feel burnt out at times. You know, I feel I do feel demotivated sometimes, and you know, I would be lying if I were to say that I didn't face that, or neither did any of my friends who are, were with me in my batch, eh? or anyone else who have studied abroad for many years. Um, because the thing is, when you know, when you have all these uh, social media apps, eh? you have Facebook, Instagram. Back then, you had Friendster, MSN, or whatever. You know. Uh, all these things, although they are a blessing in a sense whereby you can communicate with your family uh, better, but at the same time, they do still offer a a vision or a glimpse to the lives of your friends and peers and families. So when you have that glimpse, you and Shaitan will start to whisper to you and start to tell you to compare your life and your progress, your financial progress, your uh, career path, for example, your, your career progress as well to what your friends and your peers and your families have reached in that age. So when you begin to compare, and that is when uh, the feeling of burnout uh, appears in the hearts, and the feeling of giving up, the, 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 the feeling of, of giving up and, and trying to just stop it and just go back. Uh. And of course, um, this is just one of the factors, eh, social media and and comparing it with people. Sometimes some people have more things that sets them back. For example, uh, when they when they are married, when they're studying and they had to leave their wives to study abroad, for example, eh, or maybe wife and children and they have to go abroad and sometimes their in-laws might not be, their, their, their parents-in-laws or their, even their own parents may not be as understanding or supportive Uh, this could be factors also to provide the burnout or the feeling of just giving up totally. Uh, so this is something that we have to be very careful of and something that is very real 
and even myself and the rest of my friends also uh, have it uh, occasionally time and time again Mashallah. so talking about social media what is your view on people who are not qualified to speak on scholarly and technical issues and they are out there talking about these issues Mashallah. Um, and this is a tricky issue because you know social media is a good platform for us to do a lot of good and to share lots of goodness you know some, and we are living in the time of COVID uh, pandemic eh, when where we have a lot of lectures online held by the local masjids and such so it's a very easy thing for us to share uh, good things or good media or good good uh, videos online and such and and of course when it comes to the question on how do we approach these people uh, of course first of all we need to understand and to not dampen their spirits when it comes to the spirit of dawah and sharing goodness and such but we need to also uh, tell them or remind them on certain areas where you know uh, sometimes they might say something or they might oversimplify a, a ruling which has been discussed for many, many years by the scholars of the past. Yeah? And by them, you know, not having the proper qualifications, you know, they might say certain things that might be a bit of an oversimplification and that might appear to be disrespectful uh, to the scholars of the past and also towards the people that hold on to that opinion and that is uh, not a right approach lah, to do things of course uh, we need to understand that you know it's fine for you to call towards towards the sunnah and eh, towards the general things which are mostly uh, understood by the people and to remind uh, but to discuss issues which are, have a difference of opinion now that is uh, a bit problematic lah. and that should we should leave to the scholars and the satizas who have the who have been studying on the matter and can discuss on the matter with proper depth that it deserves and attention that it deserves wallahu alam to add on to that i don't think it's as easy as taking an ayah from the quran or a hadith and make a ruling out of it exactly exactly you know, you know it's not as simple as that you know when when you mention that you know some people think that you know as soon as You know, everyone is entitled to their own opinions, you know, uh, with whatever uh, ayats and, and hadith that they read. But not necessarily, that, that, that is not true. In Islam, we have to understand that you're only, uh, you are only allowed to take an opinion, you're entitled to an opinion of the scholars of Islam. You cannot just come up with an opinion. Oh, I read this hadith. This is how I understand it. And then that's it. For example, we take the hadith of that angels will not enter the house where there is pictures and there's a dog. Can. So, uh, so, you know, you cannot just take the hadith and, and you know, we, we stick to our opinion on it. We say, oh, you know, it's only for back then, you know, because back then the dogs were dirty or whatever, whatever creative interpretation that you might have. You know, it's, it's not allowed for us to do that in Islam. You know, we have to look carefully at what the scholars have said uh, with the evidences that they have mentioned, uh, with the right uh, way that they have uh, packaged it in the books, you know, uh, for us to understand that uh, we have to understand Islam based on their understanding and not just come up with our interpretation based on my creative ideas or yours or whoever else's. You know, just come, 
minjib they say yeah like they say in Arabic you know from your own pocket you know minjib you know it just comes out like that no you know you have to go back to what the scholars have mentioned in the past mashallah so what's the difference between taking an opinion from a scholar and doing fatwa shopping as they say um maybe the definition for fatwa shopping will be uh to to find as much fatwa as, as possible when it comes to an issue and choosing the easiest from them uh, that will be the shop fatwa shopping uh, versus studying the matter properly and and then leaning towards the opinion which is most correct based on the evidences that the scholars has laid out Uh, of course, the second one is the proper one that we need to have. We need to study all the evidences or the evidences that has been laid out, and also we have to we have to be open and sincere in 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 learning all the different opinions of that scholar of of the scholars pertaining to that matter. We shouldn't um, close our hearts and we shouldn't limit our hearts to listening to just one scholar or two scholars. That will make us ta'asub. That will make us um, ta'asub means we will make us blindly follow and we will not make us um, be academically mature and fair. Yeah, But when we study the matter from all different opinions of that matter and we have looked at each of the evidences eh, and how... Uh, they try their best to to give the best ruling on that matter. Then only then can we uh, lean towards an opinion of the scholars, which is the most correct. Uh, after, and if we need help on that, we can easily consult our satisas to guide us into explaining, eh? and also based on the practice of our people, so as to not confuse and to add confusion or to create any sort of friction or disrespect amongst the people of our community and the uh, the different scenarios or, or circumstance that might uh, confuse uh, the people who are observing that particular person. I understand that it's a bit long, but try try to re-listen again to understand what I meant by that. Yeah? MashaAllah. What one might ask, what is wrong with taking the easiest opinion? Because they will justify it by saying that there's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ will always choose the easy option yes from the two yes and that, that hadith is from Aisha radiallahu uh, yes um, so it's not as simple as that you see <clears throat> and one example an easy example I can think of is the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ the hadith of the Musi al-Salah okay, the Musi al-Salah is the one uh, is the hadith in which he actually uh, a man actually went to the Masjid Nabawi and he actually performed the Salah And he wanted to greet the Prophet ﷺ to give salams to him. And what did uh, the Prophet say to him? He said, go back, you haven't salat. And mm-hmm. he did again. And then he came to the Prophet again. And the Prophet said, no, you haven't salat. Go back and perform your salah. And he did again. And on the third time, when the Prophet ﷺ, when he wanted to greet the Prophet, he, the Prophet said, no, you haven't salat. Um, and and then then uh, the man said the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he said that Ya Rasulullah Sallam you know this is the best prayer that I can perform from my limited understanding from my limited knowledge so um, can you teach me if I'm doing anything which is uh, you know wrong or anything that is less correct and things like that so that was the hadith where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam actually taught him um, the main the main amongst the main things main lessons that we can learn from this is the fact of Tumak Nina for example 
Yeah, to manina means to to stand in prayer and to be in that position, uh, such that all your bones or the bones in your the areas, uh, relax and calm, and you perform the prayer without rushing, like like you know, like you're doing exercise or yoga or like a bird pecking. Yes, like a bird pecking, <laughs> etc. Yeah. So, um, so the question is, um, the, if the Prophet Sallallahu were to choose the easiest way. In this manner, how do you think the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would have addressed this? He would have just directly told the man that you know, um, you know, maybe he should come, and then he, the Prophet would have directly told the man, you know, your prayer is not acceptable because of this, 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 this. Yes, that is the most easiest of ways for him to do the the clarification. But instead, he told the man to go back and reflect and pray the best that you can. Uh, so this. This formula of giving the easiest position is not necessarily right. It's not necessarily applicable for all situations. The correct way to understand that hadith is there's two things that are permissible. You know, the easier way out and the easiest way uh, for everyone else to follow. Uh, that is should be the the right the right way of doing that. Lah. The right way of um, of doing things lah, especially when you are in a group, etc. Yeah, you would like to ease the situation for everyone that is in the group without bending the rules. Yeah. MashaAllah. To end today's podcast, what advice do you have for those who are seeking Islamic knowledge but don't have the opportunity to learn in Medina or Egypt or other Islamic countries? MashaAllah. Uh, that's a very uh, good question. And I would like to, first of all, um, you know, push and 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 you know give you all the 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 spirits eh? i mean what i'm meant to say is that i would like to boost that spirit you know keep that fire burning eh? by saying that mashallah you're doing the 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 job of the the prophets and the anbiya eh? the, the the prophets of the past and the good people of the past the scholars of the past and everyone is supposed to be doing the da'wah within the limits of their capabilities eh? at wherever best uh, uh, situation they are in eh? be it as a teacher or as anyone else you know in the society so with that uh, Jazakumullah Khair you know may Allah SWT reward you with goodness and continue for you to perform that, that da'wah and calling people towards goodness uh, secondly we need to understand is that um, when you be, when you are a da'i when you become uh, someone who calls people towards Islam what you need to have is that you need to be uh, equipped with the right knowledge and with the Quran and the Hadith on your fingertips. You need to be mentioned. You need to have the ability to mention them um, as much as possible, uh, as fast as possible as well. You know your arsenal of 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 answering questions or your arsenal of motivating someone needs to be good, and that's why I encourage people to memorize short short Hadith. For example, uh, Hadith Arba'in, you know, the book of uh, book by Imam Nawawi, the 40 Hadith compiled by Imam Nawawi, and many other Hadith which, uh, which revolves around us. Of course, these reminders are supposed to benefit us first and to keep us going. Uh, and, and then when we have the right time to say it and to bring it up, we can remind others with the, with the Hadith, the short, short Hadith that we have. Yeah, we have memorized and we have understood the meaning yeah, to us to provide uh, motivation to our friends and families and also to give them guidance and hope uh, to proceed 
uh, in their lives and to remember Allah SWT more and better lah and more frequently. So, you know, things like Man salla alayya wahidan The Prophet SAW says Whoever sends salawat upon me once uh, Allah SWT will send salawat and salams upon him 10 times You know, these are simple short-short hadith May yuridillahu bihi khayran yufaqihu fiddin Whoever Allah wants goodness for him Allah will grant him the understanding of the religion You know, all these hadith A small-small hadith which are easy to memorize And it gives lots of uh, motivation And lots of goodness for the listeners and also for ourselves to remember that you know we shouldn't give up we shouldn't give up in our pursuit of goodness in our pursuit of of good things in our pursuit for jannah and allah's pleasure and we should not give up when shaitan comes and you know distracts us and tries to lure us into a path of misguidance okay so um and and what are some tips? Some tips uh, I would say continuously uh, renew your, your intentions. Continuously uh, renew your intentions because as a tulabul aim, as a as a student of knowledge, you will always be tested by uh, by having a change of niyah, by having a different niyah, by doing so to riya, etc. All this is bad. Okay, let's just just uh, give pointers for now. Um, Amongst them also is to seek knowledge as much as possible with many uh, different ustaz, many different scholars, uh, to understand and to be sincere and 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 fair when it comes to the academic approach. We should study the evidence or rather the opinions for all the other scholars as well when it regards to one issue, and do not just side on one and refuse to read even the 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 evidences for what the other sides has to offer you know we will never know for sure whether the grass is greener on the other side or whether the grass on our side is brown yeah, i'm not sure <laughs> that's the <laughs> what could uh, also help is to actually um, yeah like like what we have mentioned before eh? which is surround us to surround ourselves with good friends and to motivate each other to to, to continue the pursuit of knowledge yeah to continue the pursuit of being a better muslim and that should be the the niyah. And and the niyah should always be revised. And, and we need to understand that we cannot save everyone. Uh, if we have the intention to save everyone, you know, we will be overwhelmed by the responsibilities, or you know, these are amongst the tricks of shaitan. But if we aim to only save one soul or ourselves from the hellfire. You know, Allah will make it easy for us, and of course, that doesn't mean we forget our da'wah to the rest of our family and friends. Yeah, Shazan, would you like to add anything just now? You <laughs> <laughs> to, end, to add on to that, I also think it's important for someone who's starting to learn about Islam to memorize the Quran, starting from Juz Amma, the short surahs, and after that proceed to Juz Tabarok and so forth. Excellent, excellent, excellent um, reminder there. And do understand that uh, in Marina University, it's not going to be as easy as people think. We have to memorize within four, some, four months, eh, one semester, we have to memorize one and a quarter juice. One and a quarter juice such that throughout the four years, you will have memorized 10 juzu from the first to the last. So uh, this is my advice to those who have been accepted. Say Alhamdulillah, MashaAllah, uh, you know, Tabarakallah, you know, may Allah uh, make it easy for you. 
but don't forget to 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 do your your homework and don't forget to keep up to date and be the best student in the university and also try to get as much benefit as you can from the haram in masjid nabawi at the feet of the scholars as well okay um and last but not least my last advice for maybe amongst the important advice as well is whatever it is do not ever forget your adab with the people that you are with okay Uh, of course, with knowledge, sometimes we become a bit more. Uh, Shaitan will will lure you or, or or you know whisper to you to become more arrogant, to become you know you think you're the most correct. But no, eh? that's the biggest flaw of a dai of an ustaz of a talibul ilm. So we need to always be humble and understand that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala guides whom He wills, and the thing that you know may not necessarily be correct, and you know the thing that you perceive. To be, uh, you know, uh, to be correct may not necessarily be be the truth. Huh? So that is something that we have to constantly ask Allah for guidance and to ask Allah to grant us the ability to to identify the the guidance, the truth as the truth, and for us to allow to be able to follow it and to allow us to see the batil, the falsehood as the falsehood, and the ability for us to to stay away from from it. It's a pleasure to have you in this podcast. Barakallahu fiqh. May Allah bless you. Afiqum barakallah. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikumsalam. Rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.